I'm very well, Sahavatsula. Thank you. And uh, congratulations on the 45th episode. And thank you all to all the viewers out there who have been with us from the beginning. Well, I, I, I bring both a uh, optimistic picture and sort of connection, possibly with a little bit of curse, but more, more optimistic and more connection. So what we did was we polled Australians on their attitudes towards social media. And what we found were quite some interesting results that sort of go against a bit of the negativity that social media has been getting uh, over the recent over the recent years so the majority of people the majority of australians regardless of age 70% use social media to connect with friends and family this was quite fascinating because it was consistent across age brackets so you know across gen gen x millennials baby boomers the majority of them use social media to connect with friends and family the only exception being gen z um, that use it for entertainment and connecting with friends and family was a close second. So I thought that was that was fascinating because that was almost putting the social back in social media. It was using it as its as its original purpose, and that sort of followed up as well. On we asked people, do you think social media connects people? or does it isolate people from the real world? And again, 57%, a majority thought it connected people more so than isolated them from the real world. And I think that's also important because it, it goes against the, the narrative that social media sort of, it, it keeps people in a bubble, you know, it, it puts them in their home, it's just them and their computer screen and they're isolated and not interacting with the real world. But what our poll results show, it's a slightly more complicated picture than that. And people are getting a real value and benefit from being able to use social media to interact with their network. <laughs> I thought I thought you might. It's, it's pretty much from millennials upwards that are using it for connecting with friends and family. And even when we went to Gen Z and perhaps when we go to audience questions, the, the question will be, who's right, me pronouncing it Gen Z or you Gen Z? I can see that being an issue, but I'll say Gen Z. But um, no, and even, even when we, when you look at Gen Z, the majority are using it for entertainment. And we also asked, you know, 
do you use it for news as well? And that those numbers were a lot lower. So even if you say, I mean, you, you are right to say that older generations are using it for connecting with friends and family. That is pretty consistent with younger generations as well. And even when they're not using it for connecting with friends and family, it's a source of entertainment more so than political action, although that does come into it as well. So we we did just we the questions asked about social media and you can you can break it up by the specific platforms that people use. But I think quite quite interestingly, and I think this certainly goes against sort of the, the mainstream narrative, is that younger Twitter users were more positive about the impact that social media has on society, with Facebook users being the ones that had the most negative view of it. So that certainly goes against, you know, Twitter is just a, this awful place where all these awful things happen. Their users are actually quite positive about how it's influencing society. I think I think that's a, that's a that's a good point, Salvatore. Which is why it was so important in the first place for us to do this polling to ask ordinary Australians what they think, because a lot of the attention has been, you know, from within social media or from within traditional media commenting on this. And I mean, you're you're right to point out that people in the public sphere, journalists, politicians, entertainers of all stripes, would attract more negativity just because of their profile. But also, I mean, it's just a very basic fact that humans are hardwired to notice negative things more than positive things. So, you know, if you have a hundred positive comments and one negative, then the one negative is going to stick out in your mind. So we do have that negativity bias as well. And I mean, obviously there are, you know, instances of, you know, very poor behavior and a lot of nasty things happening on social media. But I think the coverage of that is obscuring a lot of the benefits that people get from social media as well. And a lot of the positive things that come out of it. I mean, you just said we're in the policy space. There's a lot of sharing of ideas and collaborations with people that, you know, in, in the past would be very difficult to have. I mean, the social media has dramatically lowered the cost of entry for mass communication. So, you know, you can connect with people from all over the world within your areas of interest, within your areas of expertise, and you can exchange ideas. I mean, you know, there's, I've got, you know, I've got a friend who's doing a, a PhD in microbiology and there's a microbiology Twitter community where they share their ideas and research. So there's all these sort of, you know, quite niche little communities on there and, you know, they don't have huge followings individually, but they get a lot of, a lot of benefit from being able to share their work. <laughs> it might seem a little bit odd, but uh, even though I very much enjoy writing about social media, I think it's an absolutely fascinating topic, you know, even within the 
classical liberal family. There's a lot of different views about it and how we should deal with it. I have been on Twitter and various social media platforms, just very basically and personally, I don't find them that helpful. You know, whenever I've been on them, I don't use them a huge amount. It's just sort of a bit of a distraction just for me me personally that's how I find it. I've been sort of playing around with some of the newer platforms like mines and locals and and that sort of thing but yeah I just haven't found the the personal benefit from those more traditional social media sites Uh, well, Clubhouse isn't one that I'm particularly familiar with. I mean, I think probably like a lot of people, it came to my attention with the whole GameStop, Elon Musk, and then, you know, that that whole whole spat between the CEO of Robin Hood and Elon Musk on Clubhouse. But I, I think the important thing to realise about things like Clubhouse and Minds and Locals is that what it shows is that they're are possible alternatives to the big social media sites. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the, the power of these big sites and, you know, are they too big and, and that sort of thing. And I have some, some sympathies towards those debates, but what we often forget is that these are relatively new technologies. They've been around for about a, about a decade, which is nothing, it's a drop in the ocean. And, you know, we need to allow time for these alternative platforms to to grow and they are getting a lot of popularity, particularly if they sort of take the negatives of the big platforms and turn it around. So you've got, you know, ones that are privacy focused, ones that say, you know, they have digital charters, they have charters of digital rights and those sort of things. And they're, they're getting a lot of, a lot of play as well. I absolutely think blogs have a future. I mean, there was some interesting uh, research that came out last year. I think it was particularly because of um, coronavirus, but email newsletters have last year skyrocketed in popularity. And as you would know, Salvatore, yourself from your own work, that if when people have online, when they have blogs, they often have a newsletter as well attached to that so they can send out their latest work to their subscriber base. So there's that as well. I mean, there's a um, Substack that's come up so our viewers may or may not be aware of that so that's a that's a site where freelance writers can put their work on it you can have it paid or unpaid and then you can have an email based that as well and Substack sort of takes care of that behind the scenes tech work for you as well so no I think there's there's if anything they'll become more important to me we were just talking before Salvatore about physical how many people read a physical newspaper and I think that's going to be declining probably not as rapidly as what many suggest but eventually they will be gone and this will become a lot more important <laughs> that's a... I think that they're willing to pay for some social content. I mean, the Australian reported that, you know, their digital subscribers have been increasing significantly. But what we're seeing as well is that there are these new business models coming up. So you have outlets like Quillette, like Spiked Online, where all the content is free, but they rely on a dedicated 
base of donors. So, you know, whether you can donate as much as you like or as little as you like, they've got supplementary forms of income in terms of podcasts or merchandise or books. You know, you, they, you have Patreon accounts, you've got all these sorts of things. So I think there's kind of two tracks happening of you've got the traditional media that's moved online and they got, they have a subscriber base, which shows that people are still definitely willing to to pay for it. And then you've got this sort of new models where it's it's free for everyone, but they are being paid by donors as well. With the, uh, it's quite interesting. Um, as as you and I Salvatore, we actually had an event on cancel culture last night, and we had Claire Lehman, who is the founding editor of Quillette, and we we talked about this very issue and various others. So that video is going to be up on our YouTube channel in the near future. But I mean, my my issue with you know open, also Peter Curdy, yes, our our CIS colleague. Yeah, absolutely. So he was there too. So my issue with open letters is I mean, you can write all the open letters you want, but the leaders don't have to capitulate. So if you're the head of a department or a head of a university or anything like that, and you know a letter pops up on your desk and says, we demand you fire this person because they hurt our feelings, what you should do is say, you know, no, I'm going to stand by this. We believe in academic freedom we believe in open inquiry. And if you don't, then this probably isn't the workplace for you. What, what social media is doing is that it's enhancing social skills. So we often think of social media in terms of, you know, you're teaching people tech, you're teaching them to be digital natives, all that sort of thing. But particularly from what our research found in that most people are using it to, to connect with others and they get a great benefit from that, it is keeping people in touch with their social network, with their friends and family, and also expanding that as well. So this, it's not, you know, I sit online, I've only got this online, it's very two, it's very one dimensional. You're, you're using it to expand your network, to enhance your social skills. I mean, I was, I was talking to a lady last night and she was talking about how, you know, she can, she can, she likes using Instagram because she can see people, her friends from all over the world posting things. And even though it's, you know, just a picture here or there, she feels more a part of their world than if she didn't have that tool of Instagram.
Well, I think it's it's not necessarily wrong. I think it's simplistic. So what I what I address in the paper as well is what has sort of been disparagingly termed filter bubbles. And you know, this is the idea that social media just you know sticks everyone in there ideological political corners and you just get more and more radical in there but the first thing to note is that this happens offline people people tend to socialize with people who are similar to them who agree to agree with them who have the same belief so if you think it's a problem online you think it's a problem offline but typically no one is making that argument but also I think it's superficially it's appealing to say that you know that social media you know technology just sticks people in their basement and they they never come out but what it actually does it is it it opens up the world i mean i was i was actually reading something yesterday it was it was talking about how introverts have been able to meet more people online so even even if you know you typically don't like socializing if you meet like-minded people particularly in your area you can sort of talk to them online first maybe that makes them a little bit more comfortable and then they actually end up meeting in real life as well so it is it's expanding that network If I, I, I'm going to assume that uh, Anthony and hello, by the way, Anthony, I saw you last night at the cancer culture event. It was great to see you. Um, I think information harvesting, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of concerns and there has been for some time about how our personal information, our data is used online. And I think but particularly with a lot of these newer platforms that are coming up, they do have a privacy focus. And I think a lot of people are a lot more aware of this. I mean, even, even now on the traditional sites like Twitter and Facebook, you have a lot more ability to go in and change settings in, in relation to, you know, what information is collected about you, when and how. There's certain things about, you know, you can, you can request data, you can delete data, you can do all those sorts of things. And I think that is going to become a lot more of a popular method as things go forward and people are aware of it but i mean there was also i think it was i mean i'm i'm very big on privacy and i think our, our audience would be as well i think I, I remember i think it was a couple of years ago there was some some study done in america where they actually asked people like how much money would it take them 
to, you know, like, like to, just to basically like be paid for them to stop using these platforms if they were concerned about privacy. And it was something like over a thousand dollars before people would even consider it. So even even though these newer platforms are going to be privacy focused and I think will be popular, I think there's also a lot of people out there as well that just aren't particularly concerned with it. They're willing to make that trade off to use a, a I use quote unquote free because the expression being if it's free, then you're the product. But but I think I think a lot of people are happy to make that trade-off. It's, it's probably both, to be honest. I mean, when you have particularly companies like Apple, they very much, it, it's entirely set up so you stay within the Apple network. So you get the phone and it's got, you know, the headphones and then it links to your laptop and it links to all these sorts of things. So they're, they're obviously invested in doing that. But I think particularly these newer sort of tech companies that are coming up. So you've got innovations like, you know, DuckDuckGo, you've got um, Bill Ottman at Mines, and, you know, these sort of kind of newer tech bros that are coming up, they're very much interested in privacy for the sake of the consumer. I think uh, this this was this was by far my favourite result of the paper because not only did we find that you know two thirds the majority of Australians want these platforms to be politically neutral, this was consistent across political lines. So whether you supported Labor, Liberal, Conservatives, or other, other actually having the most support of it. So I think I think what that was a very positive finding for me because because what it showed is that Australians aren't particularly politically divided on that issue it's not you know I want to speak and you we're going to we're going to shut down my opponent it's it's pretty much you know they want these platforms to be a place where they can exchange ideas I mean social media has become very important in politics in the terms of you know political organization getting causes out there as I mentioned before the costs of entry into these platforms are very low so you can reach people in a way like never before and Australians are quite happy to engage with that and they don't want these tech companies to to come in and tell them you know what you can say politically and you know shut down only one side of the of the debate or the other so I think it was a very positive finding. Well, it's now, I think it's it's past both houses now. Look, I'm to be to be perfectly honest, I'm quite 
concerned with the media bargaining code. I think it's I think it's a bad thing for economic freedom, mainly because it tackles the wrong issue. I mean, papers have seen falling revenue because of outlets like Seek and Classifieds where, you know, job opportunities and searching for those sorts of things have gone online. And it also, with the media bargaining code, it puts an awful lot of power in the hands of, of one minister. So at the moment, it's a, a Liberal Party minister, but there's there's nothing to say that, you know, when there's a change of government and you have someone who comes in and, for example, they're hostile towards News Corp, they can just say, right, you're out of the media bargaining code. So I, th I think, you know, it's going to be quite a while before we see the negative impacts, but, you know, something similar happened in Spain in 2014. They, they introduced a similar sort of law and it basically wiped out independent media in Spain. So I think it could possibly be a little bit too short-sighted. I can, I can understand it. I can understand where they're coming from, but I think possibly like a lot of regulations, there'll be unintended consequences. I think uh, un unfortunately what social media and cancer culture there's a there's an interlocking there in that social media is very good for whipping up outrage and for sort of so you know when someone posts about something you know there's a, a comment or whatever and then you know it's so easy for everyone to get <laughs> to get involved as I keep mentioning that the low cost of entry can be a can be a positive but also a negative in that you know it takes nothing for someone to tweet you know oh this person should be fired and then you know various other people to to like that as well so you sort of have that social media mobbing effect and then I think that if you're if you're an employer of someone who's being called to be cancelled if you're a you know a CEO of a, a brand or something that's calling for a name change, it can seem quite scary when all of a sudden your page, you know, lights up with these notifications demanding X, Y, Z behaviour. Thank you, Salvatore. It was a pleasure. Thank you.